I thought this morning I would bring just with you just a reminder and, uh, of the world. So we think about world evangelism, 7.8 billion people live on our planet. They live at some place represented on this particular map. Somewhere that uh, in the world people live. And of course we know in Russia and the Ukraine and those uh, countries there, lots of challenges today. But quite frankly, that happens every day someplace in the world. Some people are dying. There's genocide going on in Africa that they don't even tell us about. There are things in Somalia and in northern Africa, Zaire, and different places where oftentimes terrible atrocities are taking place that the government doesn't seek to let us know. The press doesn't want us to know about that. This has been magnified. But only 4% of the world's population lives in America. It's a wonderful country. It's a country that was founded on freedom of religion and uh, fighting off the state church of England. And many of our folks came. And, of course, people tried to rewrite history and tell us they just came for a better life. I don't know about you, but I would not want to be a pilgrim. <laughs> I wouldn't think that first winter was a good life. I don't think they flew. They, they uh, got away from England just to have a good life. They, they wanted freedom to worship without government restraints. And they kicked off the, the England there in 1776 and declared their independence. We live in a great place, and yes, it's got lots of problems. But only 4% of the world's population lives here with us. So there's 96% of the world that lives somewhere else besides America. They sing a different national anthem. They eat different foods. They speak different languages. They have much different culture. This morning I was talking to a couple in our church who were talking to a couple in Abidjan. I don't think I said it right. What is the name of the? Azerbaijan. And they were talking about marriage, but their culture in the Islamic state is far different than ours. Trying to, trying to figure out how that thinks. But much of the world doesn't speak our language or eat our food or understand our way of thinking. But they all have something in common with us. They're going to be in heaven or hell one day. They all need Jesus. Even if they're climbing on their hands and knees, going to worship multiple gods like they do in places like India, or they try to go to Mecca sometime in their lifetime to please Allah so that they can have a better eternity, or, or someone who just wants to seek peace and works to earn the way to heaven, or those in Salt Lake City who are trying to uh, have beautiful edifices and trying to please the God of Joseph Smith told them, or those in Jehovah Witness, and I've many times gone by the, the big buildings there in New York City where the elders of the Jehovah Witness give their doctrines and things of that nature, but all of us need Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you ought to be concerned about people who don't know Jesus. Probably the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved. God wants us to get a heart for the world. And when we get a heart for God's big world, he'll get a heart for our little world. I remember years ago, I was 17 years old when I was first provoked to begin giving to world evangelism. I was in a church service. I remember I was on the aisle, in the middle aisle, off to the right there, 17 years old. I was making the big bucks at Arby's Roast Beef Restaurant. 
I think $63 every two weeks or so was about the average amount I was making. And I remember working the drive-thru. My brother worked the front counter, and we were trying to pay for our basketball trips and senior trips and things of that nature. And, and the, the, the man said, look, I want everybody to get a faith promise commitment card. And he, he said, don't fill it out. Just pray about it. See what you're going to do every week when you come to church. By the way, every week you should be in church. And part of the reason to learn to give to the Lord is you, you come to him on the first day of the week. Let every man lay by in stores. God has prospered him. Church should not be an option for you. It should be a ritual. It should be something you do. It's a commitment. It's not like I hit and miss or if I have a picnic over here or if I have a vacation. If you're on vacation, go find a church. This Wednesday night, I'm going to take a little time at the expense of our deacons. They've sent us an Airbnb, and we're going to spend a little time together as a family. But on Wednesday night, I'm going to be in church. I can't be here, but I'm going to be in church. Uh, we don't, if we know what restaurant we're going to go to, what hotel you're going to stay, or what place you're going to stay, or what you're going to do, you always want to find a local church. I want to be faithful to the Lord. Why? Because this life is not about you, and it's not about me. It's about what God's trying to accomplish. I believe with all my heart we're in the last days. I don't know when the Lord's going to come back. and He doesn't have to come back in my lifetime, but I'd be very shocked if he doesn't. I believe that we, we can see everything that God wants to be done to bring his son. I, I don't think you have to look for any more signs. You can just listen for a shout. And when that happens, one thing you can't do in heaven is soul win. Can't tell people, everybody in heaven's already been won to Christ. There will be no longer any mission support given in heaven. That's why Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures on. No, don't lay up yourselves. He laid it up in heaven, not on earth. Don't fill it up here. I mean, we all need money. We all need to have time. We can pray about anything. We can do things. But I want to encourage you to consider what the Bible says about world evangelism. I want you to think about it. I believe every single adult, every teenager, every child, every married adult, every man, every woman, everybody ought to be thinking, what do you want me to do, God, in another year to get the gospel to somebody else? And we've laid out a plan. It takes money to get saved. No one got saved without somebody giving money. So, well, I got a track. Well, who bought that track? I rode a bus. Who put the fuel on that bus? Um... Had a precious lady this week, and she said, Pastor, I know fuel costs have gone up, and I feel it's still important to get the bus ministry. She said, I, I think I want to I do something about that. And brought a check and said, Pastor, this is just for fuel costs for the bus. I want more people to get, I don't want you to feel like you have pressure because we can't do it. And she brought $1,000. Said, I'd like to just help with the fuel costs of the bus. You know, the kids who rode the bus and will ride the bus next week is because someone gave this week. Buildings, we have NIPSCO bills. And if you got saved in a building or you got saved because someone took the gospel to you, they held a material uh, media. People are getting saved now on, on radio and listening right now to this broadcast on radio. It, doesn't co it costs about $1,000 a week to have a radio station. Just a minimum cost, not, no, no salaries, just, just licenses and materials and, and media, and the, the, the things, that the, 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 uh, the equipment materials, and manpower. We're going to talk about that for the whole month. Next week we'll have Brother Arby Ouellette with us. I'm looking forward to him being with us. But I want us to see what God wants to do for world evangelism and what our role is. I want you to pray about it.
Uh, I'd like to encourage you to get a map of the world and start praying for the countries of the world. Someone said to know the will of God, you need to, to, you need to study larger maps. You need the Bible and an open map, and you can find out what God wants you to do. With that in mind, I've taken this morning the opportunity to go to Philippians chapter 4. It's one of my favorite places in the Bible, and I've got to tell it to you quick. So listen fast, would you please? Philippians chapter 4 is uh, the, the book of Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul. At the time, he's in a home in Rome. He is renting the home, and he has a Roman soldier in the house with him. And he has two years that God's going to let him be there. He writes several books of the Bible while he's in there. And this is one of them. He is in the house, I can just imagine. And he had been to this place, Philippi. It was the first place in Europe that had heard the gospel. So he went to this town, and, and there was no synagogue there, obviously, but, but there were people down by the river on the Sabbath day, and a girl named Lydia, who was a seller of purple from Thyatira from the Turkey area, she was there working. She had a home in that community, and her husband and her kids and her family was there, and, and she was down by the river with her girlfriends, and you could probably see them just holding hands and praying. And while they were holding hands and praying and visiting with each other and talking to the Lord and seeking the Lord on that day, Paul and his young man Timothy and Silas walk up. And they begin to speak with her. And the Bible says her heart was open to hear the gospel. And she got saved. And her girlfriends got saved. And she even went home and, and she said to her, maybe her husband, or she said to Paul, she said, look, if you guys would let us, if you count me worthy, you brought the gospel to me. Let me give a bedroom to you guys. Let me give you a place to stay while you're here. And they stayed in that city of Philippi for many days. They had an aggravating thing that kept happening to them. There was a demon-possessed teenager, young lady, who was being prostituted for teaching and giving people fortunes. And men who knew who she was, they were getting, they would say, hey, folks, you want to know your fortune? This girl knows it. And she was using supernatural, satanic, demon-possessed methods to give people things about themselves that the demons knew. <coughs> and they said, well, you want to hear about it? Yeah, said, well, give us some money. They would take the money, and they would take it and make money off of her gifts that were given to her by Satan. But this girl, wherever they would find Paul and Silas, wherever they would go, when they would see them, and especially on the Sabbath days, they would follow them and say, these are the servants of the Most High God who bring to us the way of salvation. It was just like a demon-possessed person aggravating the gospel. When we'd go talking to someone, she'd come up and walk up, these are the servants of the Most High God who bring the way of salvation. They were just aggravating. And she did it over and over again. And the Bible says, after many days, Paul turned to her and said, demon, you get out of her. In the name of Jesus Christ, come out. And when... The demon came out. Obviously, she was relieved. God was happy. They were happy. But the people who made money off her were not happy. And they stirred up the people. And because they hit them in the pocketbook, they went down to the police station. we got some people here, and they're stirring up our town, and they're, trying, they're causing all kinds of problems here. And they got the magistrates all excited, and they pulled Silas and uh, Paul into the court. And they took him out, and Timothy was probably a teenager. He was too young to be arrested, possibly. But they took the older ones, and they, and they took Paul, and they silently pulled their shirts off of them and commenced to beat them brutally in front of everybody. 
And as they were beaten there in, in, in that city, they, they, they said, all right, take these guys down to jail and tell them that, uh, to keep them. And boy, when they went down to jail, these guys, bloodied men came in and the, and the, 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 the people said, hey, the police uh, or the, the mayor says, don't let them out. These guys need to be kept overnight. And boy, the guy, the, the, the jailer thought he had some hardened criminals. He put them in the inner city, in the inner part of that, in, in stocks and bonds and handcuffs and foot cuffs and kept them in the middle. And, and then he heard them sing. Instead of cursing and getting mad at him and upset with that, they, they, they sang. And it wasn't rock songs or salsa songs or it wasn't rap songs. They were just songs about God. Maybe songs like, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. Or maybe it were other songs like, Under thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. This guy said, these people are weird. And then an earthquake happens. And everything falls off. All the stocks and things fall off. The doors open and the man is startled and he knows that they're going to come after him. And if they leave... He'll be responsible for all of that. And when a man was in charge of that time, history books will tell you, they would sometimes, if they let a prisoner go, they would kill him. Or they would take one of the prisoners they catch or take someone and a dead body and they would tie it to him and let him die by watching the dead body crowed all over him. And so his thought was, I'm going to kill myself. I'll just kill myself now. And then Paul says, do thyself no harm. Don't kill yourself. We're all here. We're still here. And the man went down in there, and he pulled him out of the jail, and he says, look, guys, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be saved. Your whole family can be saved. And he said, well, speaking of the family, let's go down to my house. In the middle of the night, he takes them down to his house. He washes their wounds and cares for them, and then says, guys, I want you to hear it was probably his wife and his kids, his mother-in-law, his sister-in-law, whoever lived in that eastern home. He said, look, listen to this guy. What he just told me, you can have that. And they all got saved and they got baptized in the middle of the night. Took him down to jail and the magistrate said to send him out of here. Tell those guys we, we arrested yesterday and we beat. Tell them not to come back. And Paul said, not so fast. We're Roman soldiers. We have our papers. You didn't give us a trial. You beat us publicly. And he said, oh, hang on a second. They got nervous and... He said, you want us to leave town? You come down and escort us out. And they came down. I think they got some mission support that day is what I think happened. I think they went down to the, the, the county clerk and got some money and said, hey, okay, guys, look, how much will it take? He said, I don't know. How much do you want to give us? But they went down to Lydia's house, and they went about 50 miles down to Thessalonica. While they were in Thessalonica witnessing to people, this little group of people, that little damsel and Lydia and her girlfriends and that Philippian jailer got together and they said, you know what, Paul is good at, at making tents, but he's better at giving the gospel. Why don't we collect money and we'll take it to him? Well, Paul was not in Thessalonica probably more than a month, but two times in a month they sent someone from that little group of people down to Paul and Silas and gave him money and, and, and snacks and things that would help him. And they went back and someone went to 50 miles. Now, 50 miles driving from here to Rensselaer today is, is going to take you an hour in the car. Could you imagine walking from here to Rensselaer? Or here to O'Hare Airport? Take you a long time. Well, say they sent someone two times in a month to go and give him money. 
And then they followed his ministry wherever he was and gave him, they collected money and gave it to Paul. They did it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 9. You can see that Paul said, I was with you. I didn't ask you for money because I had money that was given to me by the people of Macedonia. Now Paul is older, A.D. 61. He is in a house in Rome with a Roman soldier, and he's got two years where he has some liberty, and a knock comes at the door. No doubt he doesn't answer the door. Probably the Roman soldier answers the door, and he opens the door. He's standing there. He said, can I help you? He said, my name is Epaphroditus, and I'm from Philippi, and I'm looking for a guy named Paul of, Saul of Tarsus. I can just hear Paul in the back. Appy, get in here, man. Let him in. He, he's my friend. And Epaphroditus comes in, and Paul probably hugs him, and he hugs him, and he may have been the jailer. He might have been Lydia's husband. He, I don't know who he was. But he comes in. He said, Paul, <laughs> man, we miss you. Because we made all the way. I, I came all the way from Philippi, all the way back to Rome. Because I wanted to see you. Man, our folks were just, we've got some money for you. He goes, good, my rent's due next month. Good, i got to buy some paper. I'm writing some letters to some churches and some people. i got to write Philemon. Talk to him about Onesimus. Yeah. Oh, that's great. We've got food, things to take care of. We want to give it to you, Paul. And when Paul gets, he goes, tell me about things are going. He goes, well, you only sent the key to the two ladies in the church. They're not really getting along very good. And he says, I'll include them when I write that letter. You guys get on the same page with one another. He, he wrote them several things, and he wrote them a letter back, and he gave it back to Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus got sick while he was with him. And Paul thought he was going to die. But uh, he wrote a letter, and he wrote this book of, of Philippians, and he sent it back with them. And 16 times he mentions joy or rejoicing in this book. It's a book of joy, joy through suffering and difficult times. It wasn't a good time to be Paul or to be them. He said, you can have joy even through sorrow. He said, you can have joy when you serve the Lord. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who who thought not a robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. He said, when you serve God, you can have joy. You can have joy when you focus on the Savior. That's where he said, for me to live is Christ. He said, that I might know Christ. If you focus on the Lord, you'll have joy. You focus on the world, you'll get discouraged. You focus on finances, you'll get up and down and confused. But if you focus on Jesus, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then you can have joy when you learn to give and you learn to share. Some people think you just get all you can, get all, can all you get, sit on your can and tell people how much you got saved in your can. That's not God's way. God wants to give through us what he'll not give to us. And so now he is writing the letter. Epaphroditus is with him. He's going to probably take the letter back. And he writes this in verse number 10. Let's look at it if we can, please. Can we? Philippians chapter 4, verse number 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care of me have flourished again, wherein you were careful. You wanted to give me more, but ye lacked opportunity. My cell phone was, was the battery was dead. Couldn't get the email to me. He said, you would have given to me more if you knew where I was in the world, but now you've found me and you've come again. I want you to notice this third word in verse number 10, but I what? 
I want you to notice some things. When you get involved in world evangelism, praying for missionaries, going to the mission field, giving to missionaries, number one, you will find you'll bring joy. And you'll have joy yourself. The happiest people I know are people that are giving people. People who get involved in giving, there's a, there's a reciprocation that happens from God to them. They get joy. And whenever we give to world evangelism like this church did, first of all, he said, I rejoice greatly that it care for me it flourished again at this time. I tell you, when you give to God and when you give to world evangelism, when I get involved with it, God gets happy. Someone else hears here about his son. Jesus gets happy. The salvation that he paid on the cross pays. The Holy Spirit can work on someone. The word of God is heard. The people who get saved are happy. The missionary is happy. He has what he needs to take care of things. Hey, listen, friend. Whenever we get involved in world evangelism, it brings joy. Are you a joyful Christian? I think giving brings joy. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Get involved with that. The first reason I want to give and I want to be a part of world evangelism is because it brings joy. It brings rejoicing. And here Paul says, let's continue verse number 11. The Bible says here, but not that I speak in respect of want. He said, I'm not, I don't even really have to have what you're giving me. It's not just for me, but I have learned that what's the first day I'm there with to be content. I figured it out. I can be content with little or with a lot in a fancy place or a not so fancy place. If it's hot or if it's cold, I can figure out wherever I am, I can be content. Verse number 12, I know both how to be abased. I know how to get real low and have need. I know how to abound. I know how to a lot and be high. Everywhere in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Would you read verse 13? I can do all things. You know, this that verse, let me just paraphrase it for you. You can do anything God wants you to do. Anything. You can forgive anybody who's hurt you if, you, if you'll trust in God's, God's help. You can go through anything God wants you to go through. People say, I just can't take it anymore. I've had it up to here. No, you haven't. Get on your tippy toes. You can do okay. <laughs> God can help you. You can go through anything. He said, that's not, just a, that's not just a verse to say when you want to win a basketball game. That's a verse that tells whatever God has given me to do, I can do it. If he will strengthen me. Verse 14, would you look at it if you would please? The Bible says, notwithstanding or having said that, ye have, what does the next two words say? Ye have what? Well done. By the way, that's something you want to hear one day from who? Jesus. Well done. You know how you can hear that? You have to, you have to done well. You're not going to hear well done if you haven't done well. And he says, look here, you guys... When you gave to missions, it, it, it brings a lot of joy to you and to everybody around you and to me. Number two, it's the right thing to do. When you give to world evangelism, he says, it's the right thing. You've well done. Because I didn't have to have it in order to keep going. God can figure that out. He can give me what I need. But the fact that you gave me is really a blessing. I figured it out. I could do it with or without it. But because you've done it, that's a good job. Do you know, I think, friends... God is going to get the world, the gospel, with or without my help and yours. When it comes to giving to missions, you don't have to. If it aggravates you, just stop. If it gets on your nerves and you don't want to do it, I think you don't have to do it. I think it's a choice. Paul says, here and I give you my advice. I'm just going to advise you. 
Because this is expedient for you. The reason Pastor Wilkerson or anybody who loves you would provoke you to give is because it's good for us. We're the winners. We learned this. He said, now, having said this, it rejoices. It's right. You've well done. Look at verse 14 and read it with me, would you please? Notwithstanding, ye have that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, ye know, Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when, you, when I led you to Christ, when I departed to Macedonia, no church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. He tells them here, number one, giving to, and get involved in world evangelism, it makes you happy and it makes a lot of people happy. It brings rejoicing. Number two, it's the right thing to do. He said, no other, no other church communicated. And communicate, the word is not just talking to each other. It means exchanging things. The Bible tells in Galatians chapter 6, if those who preach the word, uh, and those who hear the word of God are reciprocate and communicate with all good things. When you have, we have a guest speaker here next week, and he comes and preaches for us, it's only natural that we would send him on his way with some, a, a collection that we take. He blessed us spiritually. We can encourage him physically. We can, we can collect an offering. We can give it to him. He said, those who are taught the word ought to live off the word, off the, the communication. It's a, it's a reciprocal thing. And the Bible says here, when it came to this church, they, they did the right thing. They gave to the Apostle Paul. And then notice the third thing about giving to missions. They, no other church did it. From the very beginning when he started this, other churches did not think about doing this. Because giving to missions aggressively, in my opinion, is very rare. Most churches and most Christians don't. I don't know how much money you get and spend, and, and it's not in my business. I don't know how much anyone gives to this church. Occasionally, I'll find out something, like someone gave $1,000 this week, and I'm so thankful for that, but it's a rarity. I, don't, I just look at the bottom line like you do. What I do understand this about this is that people... In Christianity, oftentimes, when it comes to giving, they'll stop at nothing. <laughs> they just don't. They'll buy more dog food. They'll spend more money on dog food than they will on world evangelism. They'll keep their cable on at 90 or or $100 a month and give $3 a month to missions. They'll have all kinds of expenses, and they'll do this big vacation, and they'll do, they'll do something small for missions. They'll spend more on coffee on a daily basis than they'll give to world evangelism and entertainment and things that we enjoy. And they have nothing, nothing about going to a ball game and spending, dropping $100, $200, $300 at a ball game. And, and then they get a little nervous if they have to give $20 to missions. Because it's a rare thing. He said, no other church did this, but you did it. I don't know about you, but in this area, I want you to be rare. <laughs> I would like to be in the rare group in this area. Most churches, when it comes to giving, they just, they're just not excited about it. I think, I think God has blessed during COVID and has made and set some fire in our hearts to give more aggressively. The Lord has allowed our, our church to give almost $40,000 a week to world evangelism. In 2021, to collectively, we collected in this room and across the street in our Spanish congregation, $2.2 million that we took in and we sent out. It didn't put paint on the walls, it didn't put fuel on the bus, it didn't put insurance on the property. It just went from here, from you and I gifts, and we, we sent it out to someone else can hear the gospel, to purchase property, to win people to Christ, to put radio waves and, and internet giving to people so they could do that. But that's rare. Most Christians aren't excited about that. 
And this church was rare. It was right, it rejoiced, and it was rare. Our time is up this morning. I want to share the rest of this with you this evening. Because I believe with all my heart, the rest of this thing, and I'll just tell you what I think it is. Number one, it was, now I'll tell you what the points are, so if you don't want to come back tonight, it's up to you. But it was regular. They sent once and again. They didn't just do it one time. They just did it again and again. And if they could find him again, they would send it again. Hey, we got, we got missions money. Let's take it to Paul. Let's take it to Paul. Who's going to take it this time? And they said, where's he at? I don't know where he's at. I heard he's over here. I heard he's over there. He's in Rome. Go. Take it. Epaphroditus, take it over there to him. They, they were continual. It wasn't just once in a while. It was a regular thing they did. And then the last thing, it was very rewarding. Tonight, I want to share with you four things that are rewards for giving to missions and getting involved in world evangelism. And I'm telling you, it motivates me. It may not motivate you. I understand not everybody is really excited about what God has planned for you. But to me, when I found out the rewards of giving to world evangelism and getting involved in missions, it was a game changer to me. When I saw what God would do with me and with our church, I want to have a missions-giving church, really, because the benefits are huge. But I'm going to talk about four Four reasons that you want to give to missions. Not only because it rejoices, not just because it's right, not just because it's rare and it's regular, but it's very rewarding. And if you, you know, the Bible tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because him that comes to God must believe two things about God, that he is and that he's a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. You know why people do not get excited about giving out tracts? witnessing to people, giving to the Lord, where you just, it, doesn't, it doesn't motivate you, is because you have a low opinion of God's rewarding process. See, Pastor, are you trying to, you're trying, I'm just telling you, when we think little of God, we'll do little for God. But when you think a lot about God and you trust his rewarding process, then you get aggressive with him in trying to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together, can we?